Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to a takeover episode of Words and Nerds. This is our beginner's guide to beginning. My name is Beck Marshall Say and I am joined by a number of emerging picture book authors tonight, uh, Miranda Berthissel, Claire Thompson and Jess Horn, and we are going to talk about, about all the wonderful and awkward and difficult things about starting out as uh, writers and specifically as children's picture book writers. So uh, welcome everyone. Hi, Beck. Hey. Thanks for having us on. Oh, thanks for making time. I should start by saying that this is being recorded on a Saturday night. I tentatively floated the idea thinking that no one else would would sort of take us up on the offer, um, but I was really excited to find that that everyone else thinks that talking about writing is the best way to spend a Saturday night. So yeah. thank you. So this is the wildest Saturday night invite I've had in a, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> How could we refuse? So we're going to chat about your books in in just a moment. But before we did that, I wanted to ask you maybe a tricky question, but do you call yourself a writer? And if you do, when did you start calling yourself a writer? Jess? I actually said it recently and I felt super awkward about it. So um, I think, you know, on my Instagram, I started calling myself a writer a little while ago, like probably before I got my first contract, because I was kind of like, well, I might as well, I'm writing stuff that seems to be the done thing. But even after getting my first contract, I recently said to someone at, you know, a kid's birthday party, as you do, oh, yeah, um, I'm a writer. And it still felt awkward coming out of my mouth. So it's still not something I feel completely like confident to say, even though I'm writing and we've been doing it for years. So yeah, it's interesting. How about you, Claire? Look, I worked as a journalist for a number of years, so I think that has probably made me more confident to describe myself as a writer. Um, But when it comes to describing myself as an author, not as comfortable. Like that imposter syndrome kicks in and, yeah, it um, it, it feels not quite right. It feels like you're not telling the truth, but it is. I think I was a bit like you, Claire, my my professional backgrounds in writing. I did a master's in, in professional writing. So I had the easy way of sort of sneaking into using it and warming up to using it um, and saying, oh, I'm a writer, even in my head. It's a nice pathway, aspiring. isn't it? Aspiring. It is. It's a nice soft, a soft landing to get into that. How about you, Miranda? Yeah, I'm comfortable with write, a writer, but it's the word author that gets me. <laughs> I um instead of you know saying I'm an aspiring author or emerging author and I had someone say to me no that's not what you are you are an author like you've written books you've you know you you can call yourself an author now and I was like oh okay (laughs) I have to be honest I don't think I've rolled out author yet I would say I'm a writer and I would say things like my book um and and get awkward and excited about that but I'll have to try and wheedle author into conversation pretty soon 
Um, so we're here because we are beginning writers. Um, I'm certainly eminently qualified to talk about being a beginner. My first book was published last year with Larrikin House called Facing the Wave. So I was hoping you might share a little bit about your book. So perhaps you could give me an elevator pitch and maybe some sense of whether this was your first submission or your 500th submission and how that sort of process went. So Claire, would you like to start us off? Yeah, so my book is Lily the Inventor. It's out with Redback Publishing, hopefully in June this year. And um, my writing thing, doing the inverted comma fingers, is writing true stories about remarkable kids who are out there doing really inspiring things. So Lily the Inventor is the true story of an amazing girl, Lily Bourne, who loves inventing. Lily's from a family of inventors and her grandpa has Parkinson's disease. She notices that um, grandpa's wobbly hands make his cup wobble and spill. And she starts to wonder, can she invent grandpa the perfect spill-proof cup? This is a book about perseverance, following your dreams, and something we're all familiar with, which is never giving up. And was this your first submission? Have you got a big stack of um, rejections uh, under your belt? This was my first really serious one. Like, it's not my first. I've got, you know, like like all of us, I've got folders and folders of ideas and half-baked stories. But this was the one that was my passion project. I really fell in love with it. Um, I got some good feedback from it, about it during a uh, a manuscript assessment, which put a bit of wind in my sails and made me think, yeah, like maybe there's a bit of potential with this one. So I was really determined with Lily as far as I could be that I was going to do everything to try and get this book published, which it's not that easy, is it? But <laughs> this was the one that I really wanted to, to go for it. And Miranda, you have two books. Uh, to, to come out so you might have surpassed us in the um in the beginner's guide you might be overqualified already to speak to us tonight but can you no. give us a little bit of information about your books and and again the process uh well my the, my book that I have coming out in a couple of weeks called Say Freeze that was an idea that I had very early on after doing um Australian Writers course um and so that's basically, it's a lot more silly than Claire's style of writing. Um, and this one's based on the old tale, if you pull a silly face and the wind changes, it will freeze that way. Um, so we, you know, did a bit of a different spin on that tale and um, aimed it at Larrikin House, who likes those kind of stories. And so I did an assessment with James and then from there got offered a contract. Um, so that was, yeah, the first submission for that story. Then since then, you've written a few more stories and had rejections. And but luckily enough, I've had an offer from Scholastic for my second book, um, which is a Christmas story that will come out next year. How about you, Jess? Yeah, my first picture book was, I, I actually counted, and I can't remember the number, but it was roughly around my 50th submission. But my first ever editor assessment so that was the, the difference there it's a book about um, an autistic girl who thinks in boxes um, and it's just about how she overcomes a challenging situation that's out of the box for her it's something that I'm hoping will sort of broaden awareness of different ways of thinking and sort of encourage people to make choices that suit their own needs and not necessarily everybody around them how do you deal with rejection when you get it? Do you take it personally? Are you aware of the the bigger picture in the industry, or do you um do you stew on it? What how do you how do you cope, Miranda? I tend to when I submit stories, start writing another story. So then that focus my focus is on something else then, and I then get really excited about this next story that I'm writing. 
So if a rejection comes in from a previous story, it's not as um, heart-wrenching if, if, you know, you're excited about another story that you're writing. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's still tough. You know, it's a, definitely a profession where you need to have a tough skin. What about you, Claire? Honestly, I would say a lot, a lot of the time I just expected it because we know how tough it is. And we know, I know just from our writer's critique group that all of us here today are in, like how much talent there is out there and how few opportunities. So obviously, of course, you're hoping um, that you're going to get a yes. But like, I think I was pretty realistic with my expectations. And when I actually did get a yes, I nearly fell off my chair. I was so shocked. (laughs) Like, I just didn't think it was coming at all. Jess? Yeah, I think similar to uh, Miranda, I just sort of, I've always got multiple projects on the go. So once one's sent off, I kind of, I, I think initially I, I've, you know, checked my inbox every two seconds and then very quickly realised there was no point in doing that. And to be honest, um, I think it's kind of exciting to get a rejection because most of the time for me, I didn't get anything. So it was kind of just nice to get some sort of response. And I think the the longer that you write and the longer that you submit, the more you realise that everything is so subjective and everything is based on so many different factors, not just your writing. And so sometimes you might submit something that's not great. And other times you might submit something that's really good, but it's just not put in the right place at the right time. So I think that makes it easier to take as well. That's one of the, I think, the things that's really important about engaging with other people in the writing community is that you hear these stories and you get a sense of the fact that not every publisher is for you um, that not every, you know, every agent's for you and that you're not always going to, yeah, you're not always going to find a good good fit. I think there's a quote from, and I could be misquoting someone else quoting it, but from um, Dita Von Teens, who does the ballast dancing, and she talks about um, being the, you know, the juiciest, best peach in the world, but you're always going to find someone who doesn't like peaches. And I think I that, that. But it's so good, isn't it, um, that you could be, it could be the best, most polished, beautiful story but it's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to love your story or you as a writer or, or whatever it is. I thought that's, I always try and keep that in mind. I'm not too bad with rejection because again, I think you you come to accept it as part and parcel of the industry. But I think when I get editing feedback or specific feedback, I tend to find taking feedback on board something that makes me feel a little bit icky. So I have to sit with it for 24 hours. I sort of skim over it and I try and see what the worst thing is that someone's had to say. And then I try and just put it out my mind for 24 hours and have all those uncomfortable feelings. Um, and then I and then I come back to it. Do you have any, does anyone have any processes for for dealing mm. with the uncomfortable things that go along with putting your work out there? I think what you're saying um, with regards to feedback, it's like, I think that's a learning process in itself, learning how to take feedback. And I think it depends on how it's presented to you, like whether it's easy to take on board or not. And obviously like, really lovely feedback is always great but I've actually come to really appreciate quite constructive feedback and I'm I'm getting really sort of a lot happier to make big changes to my my work and I think initially when I started out it's almost like that sort of concept of unconscious incompetence like you don't know what you don't know and as I get further along I'm like yeah that feedback actually really clicks and I had some from a friend last night actually who's like oh, sorry, I just realised that everything I said probably sounded really negative. And I was like, I didn't take it like that at all. It was great. Thank you. Like, So it's it's nice to get to that point where you can sort of take it, but it does still, it, it, it is still hard sometimes. What about you, Claire? You've got a long background in writing and getting um, getting edited. And uh, do you have a uh, into that or? 
Yeah, I think that's probably given me a thicker skin because it's just part and parcel of working in a journalist. I work as working as a journalist. I work as a media officer now. My work is always getting changed and chopped up. And sometimes um, it's not even because it's bad or it's wrong. Somebody else just has a different view or they want to present it a different way. So I think that's definitely helped me with the editing process. And I agree with what um, Jess was just saying, that it's that really constructive, like you kind of want that really constructive feedback because if someone just looks at your story and goes, that's great, it's perfect, you're not learning. And, you know, this is such um, such a technical craft, like picture books look so deceptively simple and they're not. So I think you really need that feedback to keep learning and growing and honing your skills. So feedback is good. Feedback is good. Miranda, how about you? I know you're also involved in the sort of critiquing in the writing community. How do you find that process of peer critique and peer feedback? Yeah, I actually really love it. Like I find that, you know, obviously it's fantastic to get feedback on your own stories, but it's also really beneficial to be giving feedback on other people's stories. Um, Because it's, you know, it's a way that you can grow in your writing as well to be able to look at someone's story and, you know, make some any suggestions and things like that but yeah the group that the four of us are part of the group that I think is just so supportive and I've sent out plenty of stories um, that you've all given feedback on and I've appreciated everything that's been said and you know there's been things that have been said that I'm like I just didn't even see that that's fantastic advice like and I just wouldn't have thought of that or thought to take the story in a different direction without that support from the group. I think um, when you picture getting published or, or becoming a writer, I think I, I know I always sort of you picture the big prize that you picture getting the contract or having the book out there. And it might sound a little bit cheesy, but I genuinely think one of the, the greatest things that has come from me making more of an effort and saying, yes, I'm, I'm going to be a writer or I'm going to be an author is the is getting involved in the writing community and I I'm not sure maybe some aspiring writers realize how amazing and how connected and and how much great support there is um, from the writing community not only for emerging authors and not only between emerging authors but the fact that if you're able to put yourself out there there, there's, there's so many people who are willing to be you know cheerleaders and and to to sort of help you along the way I guess just to that end, I, you're someone who I came across through Instagram and through social media and you, you sort of popped up and you've been doing some amazing things. And one of the things I'm really blown away with is how many people have been following your journey to publication and established authors and you've built up such a network of cheerleaders and people who are invested in your journey. Can you tell me a little bit about how you decided to put yourself out there as an aspiring or emerging writer? Thank you. That's, that's nice to hear. I kind of just I didn't in, intentionally go, oh, I'm going to build up followers and, and all, all of this. I just kind of jumped on because that's what you, you're meant to do. They say, you know, start start a social media page. And I initially did it under a different name um, with a blog for short story, like adult short stories. And then after I did the picture book course, it kind of like morphed into that. And I just really put up things that I enjoy and I find funny. So there might be little pictures or quotes or books I've enjoyed or whatever. And it's it's kind of been unintentional, but so lovely. To, to have so much interaction like it just it, it it's such an amazing community and it, it really does as you mentioned cheerleaders it really does just feel like there's a bunch of cheerleaders out there just cheering you on it's it's really really lovely. Claire you did something really interesting with your journey as well I know that uh, lots of people were following along at home with your journey to publication can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah I, I don't even know how it 
don't know how it happened. <laughs> I'm really introverted. So it was also not my intention to just put myself out there um, on social media. As as Jess was saying, you know, I did, I did the, the picture book writing course and they say, have your author platform. And I did that really thinking that it would be a platform to connect with readers. But what I didn't realize was that I was going to enter this beautiful community um, of writers, as we've just said, so um, supportive and warm. And yeah, so I, because I didn't have a book to talk about at this stage, I thought, well, what I can talk about is what I'm doing, which is getting submissions and getting rejected. And I started filming my rejections and put together a series called Email from a Publisher, which like I was scared to post because I thought maybe people just think this is so like childish or ridiculous and people seem to like it like the the feedback that I got because everyone else is in the same place and doing the same thing yeah and it was it was fantastic and it was a bit fun as well every time I got a rejection like oh well I could make a video and put it on social media and all my writing friends will pat me on the back so yeah I had a bit of fun last year with that and it it just really showed me what a lovely warm empathetic um community we're in really supportive and the, the filming yourself is really, you know, putting yourself out on a limb and it, it obviously paid off with your journey. Jess, you've got a video as well of your successful um, bid as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was uh, prompted by Claire. I, I joined the um, hashtag email from a publisher bandwagon there. Um, that was my one-off, just, just my success. That'll do. I didn't film any others because I didn't really get any. So it was fun and I'm glad I filmed it. Oh, I'm glad you did too. I, I think a lot of writers in the community I've seen have said things like, I was more excited about this than my own, you know, my own acceptance. And I think that's so true. You get really invested in in other people's journeys and, and so on. So Miranda, how did you find your way into the, the writing communities? When I first received the contract for Say Freeze, I contacted some um, other Larrikin authors, I think Ubeck, you were one, and also Billy Lewis and Emily S. Smith. And it was just really good to just start that initial connection with some authors. And I asked them if they had, you know, any writing groups or, you know, where they formed their little writing communities. And oh, that's how I got connected to our Facebook group and a few other really close friends now that I that I go to for writing advice. How did you first get the get the courage up to send your work out to someone through these groups or did you start critiquing other people's work first? So when I reached out to these um, authors, they said, you know, gave me some suggestions for groups to be in and then they also said, oh, but if you've got any stories, we're happy to have a look at them and that's when I thought, oh, you know, fantastic. This is a great opportunity to, to get some feedback and you saw one of my early stories and, yeah, just getting that feedback is, so invaluable it sort of gives you that confidence to make sure that when you do actually go to submit it to a publisher that you've had multiple friends and authors have a look at it first. So going back a step then when you first got your great idea and thought this might be something that you wanted to pursue did you go ahead and complete a picture book course first or were you a um, diehard podcast listener or, or what sort of resources do you think helped prepare you for everything I did everything like when I get an idea in my head something I want to do I will go full throttle and when I decided I was on mat leave so that helped um when I decided I wanted to try my hand at writing picture books 
all of it. I immersed myself last year. I did the AWC um, picture book writing course, which, as you say, is absolutely fantastic. I was sad when it finished. I think it's a five-week course, isn't it? And it just, you're immersed in that world. Um, conferences, I did CYA last year and spoke to editors um, to do manuscript assessments, which I found absolutely terrifying, <laughs> but really helpful. Podcasts, of course, um, Facebook groups. I did some other courses. I did a couple of Larrikin House courses um, about social media and pitching to, to learn, predominantly to learn. But also it's just like it's so interesting and it's such a great way to meet other writers and to get in a space with publishers. So and there's so many great courses out there. I wish I had more time. I would do more. That's the dream, isn't it? That un- unlimited time and unlimited money to go to sort of every conference and every writers' festival. Because I know I always come away with just an unmatchable buzz once I've been speaking with writing people, which I think is perhaps another reason why getting involved as you as you are emerging and not waiting till you've got a contract to start reaching out to the writing community. So I think because writing is such a solitary activity as well that it is nice to kind of break up those long stints where you're spending your evenings writing which is beautiful but also to pop into a course or something like that you know and just um just to mix it up and to make sure that you're keeping kind of social yeah Claire I Claire and I pretty much talk every day and I don't think to be honest like with Claire and and all the other writing buddies that I have and talked to like I don't think I would have enjoyed the journey half as much if I didn't have that that contact nice to have it's uh, it's very solitary otherwise like you said yeah it's very supportive Jess and I speak every day and speak with Miranda pretty often too but none of us have ever met in real life so we have to change that it is odd isn't it when you I talk to my my partner and I'll say oh my my friend Miranda or my friend so-and-so I have met Miranda fortunately once but but most of these people I've never met and I talk about them as though you know, they're, they're friends from high school or someone that I've known for a, a, a very long time or they're workmates, I think. Also, you become, you sort of become colleagues in this, um, you know, in this really odd online space and the support you get is just just absolutely incredible. Nobody quite understands it like other writers as well. Like family and friends can be supportive and think it's great that you're writing or you've got a book coming out or, you know, but I don't think... Um, it's fellow writers that really understand just how how tough it is yeah and have that real empathy for it and I think back on the courses thing like I did um again I did the Australian Writer Centre course and I did a couple of the Larrikin House ones which were great and you know read some online you know websites and various things about writing but I think most of the learning after that sort of foundation stuff really does come from that interaction and that feedback I think that's such an important part of the learning process like we all really started this course we were on maternity leave and needed to help our baby brains. Clay you mentioned about family and friends and that they perhaps don't understand the experience as much as anyone else when I started uh, once I started telling people I had my contract my family and friends had lots of questions to me that I couldn't answer and I found that they were questions that I probably really wanted to ask my publisher and so people would say things like do you get a say in the illustrations? How much money will you get? You know, you get the contract and you step through what you think is going to be this amazing door to being a professional writer, a professional author, but you're still learning as you go. Were there any questions that you perhaps really wanted to ask? Oh, look, when I got my contract, I didn't understand the, the entire contract. It could have been written in a different language. 
<laughs> so I had lots of questions about that. And the way I got around that was I didn't have an agent at that stage, but I hired an agent to sit and go through the contract with me and kind of explain the terms and explain it to me in plain English, um, which was really useful because you should have a vague idea, I think, of what you're signing. And I also thought, hey, maybe that agent already like me and they'll want to sign me as an added benefit of that session. But that didn't happen. But it was worth it. <laughs> it doesn't hurt though, does it? It doesn't hurt to get your face in front of people and your name, um, you know, out, out with people in the industry because you never know. You never know when it's going to pay off. Um, Jess, how about you? Is there anything that you you had any burning questions or, you you know, you got the contract and you went, like, what do I do next? Yeah, I mean, uh, same with Claire, like the contract does look like it's written in another language. Um, I am the sort of person who likes to know exactly how everything is going to look and work and when, and um, I ask a lot of questions. So I kind of just, as soon as I got the contract, I was straight on to like all of the writing bodies, like, hey, what does this mean? What does this mean? And so I sort of got my information that way. I think I I think I was quite lucky with my publisher, um, Affirm Press. They provided a really amazing information sheet about what the process was going to be and how it was all going to happen. So that was really helpful and it kind of cleared up a lot of things for me. I think it's more just that, oh, when when is it all going to happen and trying to be patient um, was, was more of the problem for me, yeah. You definitely need to develop patience, don't you, for every stage of the writing process. I know that was something that I, um, again, was probably trying to play it a bit cool as though I didn't really mind. But you do want to know, you want to know, when's my publication date? When's it going to the illustrator? When do I find out all these things? And there's there's definitely a lot of, even again, my, my publisher also was quite forthcoming with a lot of information. Uh, but I did want to ask all those things that, yeah, that perhaps you just have to sit and sit and stew on until they happen because it's not a, not a fast moving industry. How did you find waiting around, Miranda? Yeah, I think patience is definitely the hardest thing in this career, but I found that it was all before the contract. So, you know, when you submit a story, the waiting, because you don't you don't know the time frame of how long they might take to make a decision. So, you know, some publishers might take only a week and others can take six months. So it's that unknown of have they read the story yet or is, they, is it still just in the slush pile? You know, have I still got a few more months where there's, there is some hope and some chance? Um, so waiting for that and then I guess if, if you're lucky enough for the story then to go to acquisitions it's the waiting then of will it get through acquisitions and you know will will there be a contract at the end or will it come back as a no so yeah waiting is waiting is definitely the hardest part actually that was one of my questions I had when I was waiting for acquisitions I was like what is the percentage of stories that gets through yeah. acquisitions of course nobody has that answer but it was a question I really wanted answered at that time and um, actually, speaking of what you, you mentioned before about families asking questions as well, it wasn't a question I had. I knew the answer straight away. But a lot of people want to know, oh, you, you're illustrating it as well. Are you going to illustrate the book? And I think a lot of people assume that if you're writing a kid's book, you're going to illustrate it as well and don't really recognize or understand how much work goes into both processes, the writing and the illustrating. Um, I mean, I can draw stick figures, but obviously that's not going to cut it. And it doesn't seem that a lot of non-writerly folk get that so that was interesting have you had much to do with your illustrators because I think that's something I, I saw in a critique group recently someone asked about whether it was okay to contact your illustrator or not um, I know for my part I just sort of followed I had the amazing Born Duck illustrate facing the wave and I I started following Born, but I was really conscious about not 
you know, crossing any spoken or unspoken boundaries about what you should do. And I think as soon as the illustrations were put to bed, I, I emailed him and I said, oh, would you like to have a Zoom chat? Because I'd really love to have a chat to you and get to know you a little bit. It's um, It seems incredible that you have this collaborative non-collaboration for the most part with the illustrator. But I was, again, really, really conscious of stepping on anyone's toes. Have I have been wondering the same thing because we're in the process of like we've picked an illustrator. They've sort of said yes, but nothing's been signed. So it's kind of in the works still. Um, and I, it is, it's a person I've spoken to before here and there. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to this person anymore. I'm very like, not sure what the rules are around that. That's another question I need answered. How about you, Claire? Have you, have you been in touch with your illustrator? I had a different experience um, with, with Redback and we had an extremely collaborative process uh, Zoe Bennett is illustrating Lily the Inventor and her work is absolutely amazing. And we've been in touch constantly, which has been an absolutely beautiful thing. So, yeah, I've been very lucky in that respect because I, I think that's not how it always works with other publishers. How about you, Miranda? Um, I was lucky to lucky enough to meet a Rebel Challenger, the illustrator of Say Freeze, at one of our Larrikin catch-ups of the Gold Coast which is fantastic to meet her in person and have a chat to her. I've just found out the illustrator of my my next book was Scholastic and I couldn't help but do a Instagram stalk and, and friend her. <laughs> but I haven't made any contact. I'm just a silent observer. It's hard, isn't it? Because, again, all publishers have a slightly different way of doing things. And even though, you know, your publishers, uh, you know, might be incredibly friendly or, or helpful, you also don't want to, you don't want to feel like you're pestering them with all these sort of newbie or beginner <laughs> questions, which is probably another another reason why having, you know, a writing community where you can ask all those things that you feel silly asking someone, um, you know, someone else, you know, what's the go with this or how does this work? Claire, your career naturally sort of, you know, has has some quite obvious transferable skills, but did did having a writing background make you feel more confident or did you feel that you set you were set up? To, to start off with, it did. When, um, like yourself, I've sort of dabbled with various forms of writing, fiction writing over the years. I've got the half novel tucked away in a desk drawer and then I decided I'm got you know children's books is something I really want to do and I think my writing experience initially gave me false confidence that I might have a head start on doing this um but I quickly actually realized you have to start right from the beginning you know it's great if you've got an understanding of words and how to make words sound good together but yeah I had to learn it all from scratch pretty much (laughs) <laughs> maybe it helped and I didn't realize but I'm I feel sure, like it did <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it helped more than you know but I think yeah, you certainly certainly right in that I think someone mentioned earlier you don't know what you don't know uh until you sort of get into the thick of it Jess your your professional background though sort of had an impact on the story that you've written is that right sort of I guess yeah I mean my professional background is speech pathology I think I haven't done it in about 10 years now to be honest but um I did come from that background and I worked with kids with disabilities um, at that time. Um, But my story was actually prompted by my own um, autism diagnosis a few years back um, and reflecting on the way that I think. So that's sort of where that came from. But yeah, the speech pathology background did help in the sense that I just love words. And um, also I did spend a fair bit of my time sort of writing social stories for autistic kids to sort of help them understand certain scenarios and and prepare for scenarios so that kind of 
came into it a little bit but essentially for me writing is something I've loved doing since I was in primary school and I think I was going to do it no matter what my job was. That's really interesting though I think that you know that that idea that you know transferable skills have to be you know professional skills as opposed to personal experiences and so on is is perhaps undervalued that you know yeah sort of take on the world or our unique perspective is naturally going to inform the types of things we write Miranda, do you find that you are drawing on things you've experienced or things from your professional background or do you just get sort of sparks, ideas and genius from from anywhere? I do feel as a primary school teacher, you know, every day I'd be reading picture books to my class and it was just, I just loved seeing which books the kids were really engaged in and which ones they were drawn to and, and often it was the ones that I enjoyed reading to them as well. So it was fantastic just to... Then when I went on maternity leave, sort of stop and have that time to think of some ideas of, you know, a story that I could write. And I was very naive thinking, you know, the first story I wrote, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. And then when I did the AWC course, I went, oh, gosh, (laughs) I had no idea. Um, But, you know, there is so much behind writing the story. And, you know, when you read a picture book, as an outsider, it can look very simple sometimes, but it's really quite challenging and quite complex to write one. And I think these days now that I'm home with my three little ones, they're constant inspiration. Um, the things that they come up with just through their play and the things that they notice, like we can go for a walk and they'll notice things that I would just normally just walk past. And just the fascination at their age of the littlest things. And so, yeah, a lot of the time my inspiration comes from them. Claire, do you find that you're influenced by your particular interest in telling real stories? (laughs) Every story I've written so far has been um, inspired by real stories. And the more I start researching and, you know, trying to find other kids with inspiring stories, there's so many fantastic stories out there. So I just have this bank of like true stories about amazing kids that I want to tell um and even the picture books that I've written that are not necessarily the story of a child they're still being inspired by true events that have happened in my life or um someone that I know so yeah that thread for some reason just has run through everything that I've done so far do you find Jess that you you also can see a sort of common theme or thread emerging in terms of the stories that you like to tell or that you you hope to keep telling? Yeah I mean I've been reflecting on that a bit actually because I kind of I feel like I have sort of two parts that I've gone along and the first one is like the slightly more serious you know with still a bit of humor type story which is what my first book is going to be Um, and then the other ones that I love doing are just completely outrageous stupid, funny, um, rhyming type things. I've done less of those, but I really enjoy both. I think um, as I keep writing, I'm seeing that the two styles are kind of coming together a little bit. So I'm kind of doing a little bit quirky, a little bit of humour, but like still with a bit of a message in it as well. I'm still developing, I think, what my style is. And I think it's really going to be guided by what contract I get. The the plural there is very um, optimistic, isn't it? Contract. I think that's, um, is it manifesting? I think that sounds like a great way to approach it. We all be looking forward to future contracts, plural. I guess to that end, is there is there anyone that inspires you particularly as a writer? Is there anyone or, or any books in particular that you go, oh, that's, that's where I'd like to be or, or I wish I'd written that book? I, I was actually thinking last night, I'd, I wish I'd written that book. Um, when I, I, just, I did, a, did an Instagram post 
on it. Um, Heath McKenzie's what's the hat one? Now I've forgotten what it's called. Anyway, it's a it's a book about a hat that Heath McKenzie did, and I was like, I wish I wrote this book because it was hilarious and fantastic. And then I got a little bit envious because I was like, oh, I wish I could draw pictures as well. I really want to be an author illustrator. And then that took me off on a very big tangent about how I wish I could um, go and do an illustration course and then I had to pull myself back. But <laughs> um, I, I also, um, a random one, but I have a real soft spot for um, Julia Donaldson's um, Paper Dolls. Have you read that? No, I haven't seen that it's one. It's an older one and it's a more serious one for her and it's not, it's got some rhyme in it, but it's not, it's, some of it's in prose and that's a really lovely book that every time I read it, it's almost a bit of a tearjerker and I'm like, oh, I, I love it. Yeah, so I like to write that sort of thing as well. I love, Jess, how how this year you're frustrated that you're not an author illustrator, but this time last year, all we wanted was a contract and like that was the goal. And then as soon as you get that, it's like, okay, and we're just on to the next thing, you know, like you just keep raising the bar, don't you? I just want to do all the things all the time. How about you, Miranda? Oh, I agree with what Jess was saying about the book, Now That's a Hat. I I thought it was fantastic as well. And I thought, like, it's just such like the idea of it. It's a simple concept, but what he did with it is just brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, you read books like that and you're like, oh, like, oh, and there was another one, Rodney loses it when he loses his pencil and it's just behind his ear. And you think the amount of times that's happened to people, they've had their pencil on their ear and they're looking and looking for it. And you just sometimes you look past those simple things in life and you don't think to write a story about it. And then when you see it on paper and someone's done it in a hilarious way, you think that's brilliant. And it's often about, I mean, the the writing um, is great, but I think when the illustrations and the words um, work really well together um, that's what makes it particularly good like and, and often that works really well for the funny books in particular like you know the facial expressions is makes adds an extra element of humor I'm I'm also with you Jess in that I wish I had the skills to be an author illustrator or at least the time to develop the skills uh, being optimistic but I know that my writing certainly far surpasses my uh, illustrating sc- um, skills my one of my favorite authors is um, John Classen, and I just think he's just developed such a beautiful style. He's, um, you know, he does the "I Want My Hat Back" and um, "The Rock from the Sky," which is a bit of a favorite at our house. And he has a just an amazing way of, I think, writing in a way that entertains kids, but has, you know, a slightly edgy humor, a slightly dark humor that I I would love to be able to convey effectively. Are there any stories from your from your past? I think Claire, maybe you mentioned the fact that you you know this was always something that you'd wanted to do. Were you writing stories when you were a kid? Would you, Would you believe I got my first rejection letter from a publisher thirty years ago? <laughs> Isn't that incredible? It's a, a long road. <laughs> So when I was about 12 years old, I don't know if these books were big in Australia, but I grew up in the UK and I used to love. Um, a YA horror series called Point Horror, published with Scholastic. I loved them. So when I was about 12, I wrote the first three chapters and the synopsis, and I actually, like, designed the front cover and sent it off to Scholastic. Um, And they wrote back to me a rejection, of course, (laughs) but they wrote me this beautiful letter thanking me for my submission and encouraging me never to give up on my dreams. And here we are. That's (laughs) amazing. Do you still have that letter, Claire? Did you I'm sure it? my mum's got it in a box somewhere. I've asked her. To, I remember around the same time I used to go to a creative um, 
writing class and we wrote a letter to Roald Dahl and he wrote back too to the group so I would love it if we could find those two letters because they'd be really precious. That would be a fantastic Instagram post. I think I need to see those letters. It would be good. One of the Instagram posts. <laughs> That'd be good content. My mum has um has I think my first my first published book was um was a classroom publication. I wrote a book called Room Eleven Climbs Mount Everest, and it was about my class's um, journey to the top of Mount Everest. And then the school reception staff would really kindly type them up could be on a typewriter I don't know but you'd get this stack of little pages back and then you would staple them and illustrate them and and then you'd seal the the spine with some you know gaffer tape or duct tape and this was one of my prized possessions for I don't know how long <laughs> I, I don't think I I don't think I sent anything off as a kid I know that I wrote a very awkward impassioned letter to the United Nations once because I thought I had the solution to a lot of the world's problems. Um, so I, I did send that to the UN, but I, I didn't hear back. So. They didn't write back. No, oh, they didn't write back. So they, <laughs> it didn't take me up. I think I was probably offering to be a child ambassador or something incredibly overly ambitious. And um, though that they took the time to write me this beautiful like I remember that like, like it was beautiful it was really thoughtfully um done like how nice is that that is amazing and that encouragement can make such a difference how about you Jess were you sort of testing out your your writing wings early yeah um I remember I actually remember my first experience of feeling like I I had copied another author's work was back in year two and I felt very guilty about it I still feel guilty to this day because I had read a, a, a school reader in year one called Mr Bear Squash You All Flat I'm sure it doesn't exist anymore and I remember um, shortly after writing a story completely different story but I stole the title and I, I felt guilty about it for years clearly it stuck with me um, but in in early primary school I was well, actually later primary school I was accepted uh, into this writer's uh, workshop. Um, it was run by Starfish. They don't. I've Googled them since, but they don't seem to exist. But they used to put out like these magazines and publish kids' work in it and get kids published and, and that sort of thing. So I was involved in that for a little while and they did some really good workshops. I also did write a letter, not to a publisher, but um, I did write to uh, Uncle Toby uh, as a kid to suggest that maybe they should um, use Ziploc bags for their cereal so that my mum could use her pegs to hang out the washing. Um, and they did write back a very lovely letter, which was nice, um, but they did not start using Ziploc bags, unfortunately. So I, to this day, use pegs on my cereal bags. Since we're obviously all were very, very cool kids, um, now that you're a, you know, you're a grown-up writer and you've you know, stepped through the amazing door to being a, an, an author who knows everything, um, and is incredibly wise. What have you been doing with your time while you wait for your books to come out? Working on more books. Yeah, I mean, that's um, what I've been busy doing. Waiting, always waiting, trying to move on with submissions. Um, I got signed by an agent late last year, so that was good. I'm not sending stuff to publishers anymore. I don't think there's been anything. I think, you see, has there been anything tricky? I think you just have to, um, or for me, not anything tricky per se, but just a need to kind of um, be brave and move through the motions in a, a confident way. Like, okay, this is happening for me and, and I can own it and I can 
start thinking about planning a launch or I can be invited to be on a podcast and talk about writing and just kind of being brave enough and not allowing imposter syndrome creep in to to keep going for it. I don't know if that's true for other people. Imposter syndrome is definitely a thing that's probably going to stick around for a while yet, I would say for me. Um, You know, I feel like, oh gosh, I'm on a podcast. Am I really allowed to do this? I feel like I need permission for everything. And so I think, again, like as Claire said, there haven't been any specific sort of really tricky, awkward moments or anything, but I, I am a double checker and I like lots of people to tell me that it's okay and I'm allowed I feel like I need that sort of permission so now that I've got a a contract it's like what am I allowed to say what am I allowed to do I don't want to do the wrong thing so it's always just like worrying about that and hence probably why I talk to Claire every day I'm like Claire should I post this what should I say is it okay to that point Jess I would say isn't it funny that we have talked about writing every day for like at least a year maybe a year and a half but yet we would both have imposter syndrome about we've been invited to talk about writing on a podcast. Will we have anything to say? So I've got loads to say. I know that I spent the lead up to my book trying to step through all the things that people say that you should do to prepare and, and that, you know, really stealing myself to go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a real writer. I'm a real writer. One of my big first steps was going out of my way to speak to my local bookshop and they're amazing. They're a, um, a book face store and they were so supportive and so lovely and I, I think I'd like lurked around the store for ages until I found someone really friendly who I could go up to and say, excuse me, do you do you do book launches? And because it was all COVID-y, they weren't actually doing them, but they were so incredibly supportive. And I think I actually, part of me really thought that they were going to turn around and go, no, we only support real writers. Get out. That's clearly not you. And they were just so, so incredibly lovely. Did you, Claire's making face, did you lurk in bookstores as well? I did the exact same thing. And actually my little girl started um, kindy. She started big school last week and I was in that school library, like a shot lurking around. I think I had to go in there three times until a librarian appeared because I wanted to tell them that I've got a book coming out and can I read it and talk to the kids under the guise of offering to volunteer in the library. So I'm now covering all their books in plastic, as well. <laughs> which is fine. It means I get to see all their new picture books. Yeah, I did. Like I didn't, you don't want to miss that opportunity as well. I did it with some confidence, but a bit of like trepidation as well. I think it's hard to remember that, you know, although you've got the imposter in your ear saying, no, not you, other people are real writers to to the outside world. You you are, you know, and and you are objectively a, a real writer or a real author. I did have an, I did have an awkward experience at my local library though everyone said oh your library is amazing and libraries are probably my favorite place in the world I sometimes talk about the you know the benefits of just having you know how people go and do forest bathing I often think about book bathing that you know you go and just walk through a bookshop or you walk through the library and you just get I don't know rejuvenated (laughs) by the by all the amazing stories around you but I and I was I went into the library and I think I, I just picked the wrong person um, and I think the first time I went up and I said, oh, excuse me, do you, the, this bookshop had suggested speaking to the library about book launches because of covid things. And they just said, oh, oh, no, we don't do that. And that was all. And I went, okay, no problem. And um, and I sort of like slunk out of there. And then a few months later, I got the nerve to go in with a postcard with my book um, just to sort of say, hi, this is my book. It's coming out. And, you know, just for your information, because, yeah, one of the things I didn't know is, I guess, how libraries go about acquiring books. 
and and so on. So I came in, I said, oh, look, this is, I'm just letting you know that I'm a local author and I've got my book coming out. I just wanted to give you this postcard in case you're interested. And um, the librarian took it and she looked at it and she said, oh, okay. She said, I, I'm, I'm not sure what we're meant to do with this. And I went, oh, okay. Um, nothing, you can just put it on the fridge in the staff room or or whatever you like. And then I, I was so grateful it was while masks were um, were things. So I had my mask and I just slunk out of there. And then as I walked away, I went, it was the same librarian as last. <laughs> it was so it's not it's not all smooth sailing, but I, I think you know 95% of the people that I've you know gone out on a limb to and said, this is my thing, this is my most precious, you know, creation, have been so incredibly supportive and overwhelming um in terms of you know trying to trying to help you out like you said a, a child care center I've, I've done talks at a child care center which has led on to other great things and um yeah how about you Jess have you put yourself out there in the interest of self-promotion not aside from um online yet um I I that's one of the many mysteries of getting my first book published it's not due I don't actually have a, a date for it yet but I know it's meant to be early next year early 2024 um, and so I'm starting to wonder at what point am I meant to do these things, but I'm making the assumption that it's later, um, but I'm starting to think about it and it does make me a bit nervous. I mean, I've got my kids daycare and my other kids school and all of that is a good starting point. I've got some amazing local bookshops in the inner west of Sydney as well. Um, it's a bit nerve wracking to know where to start. And, and that's another area that I think I'm going to be going to the writing community about um, for for guidance on you, where do you start what do you do because I think publishers will probably um, this is my guess that publishers are going to help you to a certain extent with that but really a lot of it is up to us to go out and promote and do and find those opportunities so yeah that'll be a learning curve. Given that we've all benefited so much from the community and and sort of sharing wisdom and experiences is there any piece of advice that you would give I guess, other writers who are in the position that you might have been in 12 months ago or is there a piece of advice that you've received that's really stuck with you? For me, I think it's that you know, talking to other authors who have got multiple books out and have said to me that just because that they are um, they have multiple books out that it doesn't mean that they have their slumps and they have their stories that they write that are terrible still. And I think that was really good motivation for me because at times I write a story and I'm like, oh, this is terrible um, and it's just, yeah, it's just good to hear that others go through those periods too of, you know, finding their groove with a story and just to keep at it, really. And I think advice that I would give is yeah, be patient, which is hard. And if you love it, keep doing it. No matter what feedback you're getting, you're always going to improve and you'll get there eventually. Um, and some advice that I've been given, which it's hard to take on board, but I'm seeing the value of it more and more as the years go on is leave your story to sit for a month or six months or even a year. And it's amazing how much you can see in it and improve on it, looking at it with fresh eyes, even when you thought a few months ago it was finished and it was perfect, you know. So that that's something that, again, it's about that patience and it's really hard to do. But it's amazing how many times I've rewritten a story and made it better after leaving it collect some dust for a while. How about you, Claire? What are your final words of wisdom? Final words of wisdom. Um, something really simple, but I think it's really good advice for, for all of us and for new writers. And it's just to begin. 
just to begin and get words on the page, I think we all have these busy lives and there's, you know, you might want to find a perfect time to sit and write or for the muse to strike or to work on your manuscript. And I think you just have to to go for it and make it happen for yourself. Otherwise, it might not happen. The biggest takeaways I've taken from uh, from Zanny Louise and she talked about writing in the cracks and that's my, that's, I'm, I'm very much with you, Claire. There's not going to be a perfect day with three hours and a clean house and a pot of tea. You just have to sit and do it and grab it when you can. I'm tired if I don't want to, if the house is messy. I just need to try and make yourself do it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been great talking about the, the starting out process of, um, of writing with all its ups and downs and, and great moments and awkward moments. And I really look forward to seeing what you all produce in the next 12 months or more.